Have you ever stood somewhere where you just like, wow, just marveled? I remember the first time I ever saw the Grand Canyon. I remember getting there and thinking, whoa, that is a big stinking hole. Whoa. And then I was amazed. I go, whoa, I can stand out here and look over the edge. Man, I remember the, when I was in Egypt, and I remember standing there looking at the Sphinx. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I looked at this in history books. This is amazing. I just marveled at it. And, and then I remember this little girl, this little Egyptian girl about this big, and she was selling pencils. One of the be- most beautiful little girls I ever saw in my life. You should see how many pencils I bought. And then the pyramids, seeing the pyramids and the huge stones. And then we got to go up inside of one, and it was so cool. And we're going in there, and, and there's about five or six of us guys from America, pastors, and we're going up this plank, and you're going up, and you're going up, and you're going up. And you finally get to the top where there's this little square room, and, and, and this guy back here, he's yelling up front, hey, what's up there? And you get in there, and all these new age people, and getting in touch with God, their gods, and everybody's quiet and humming. And, hum, and here comes this loud, noisy American pastor. Hey, here we are. I remember a couple years ago going to Israel for the first time and saw the amazing things they saw there. I just marveled at some of the stuff I saw. And, all, and, and just a sense of amazement and wonder. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about that this morning about God. And now let, me, let me set it up if I can for a moment. You, you know, in the Old Testament, it shows us a picture where God says to Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle. He, he brought the people out of Egypt. He brought them into the wilderness. And then he said, I want you to build a tabernacle exactly like the design I show you. Okay, how many know it was built after the one in heaven? And so, and the reason he did that, he says, I want you to build a sanctuary for me so I can dwell among my people. You see, the great desire of God's heart has always been to dwell among his people. And so he created this place called the tabernacle. And this tabernacle would be a temporary place of worship where they, as they wandered through the wilderness. And whenever it was packed up and ever it moved, the people would move. They would never move unless the, temp, the tabernacle moved. This tabernacle was a place where the people would come and worship God, sacrificial worship. They would come. The blood would be taken into. It was the only sinless place where God could meet with man because the blood was shed, taken into the holy place, and now God could meet with the priest, and the sins were atoned for. And then this dwelling place turned into the temple, if you will, that David wanted to build, that Solomon built. And it was the central place of worship. But you see, this tabernacle and this temple served as the place of worship until the moment God had a better plan to put in place. And you know what that better place is? You. You are the dwelling place of God. You are the temple of the living God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know, I don't have to go to a central place of worship. I am the central place of worship. That the Holy Spirit dwells within me, and I worship God. He meets here. He wants to dwell. Do you know the tabernacle was not man's attempt to get close to God? It was God's attempt to get close to man. It wasn't man building something to dwell with God. It was God saying, I want you to build this so I can dwell with my people. God has always wanted to dwell with his people. And then he made promises for centuries 
that one day he would pour out his spirit and his spirit would take residence in human flesh. We live in that era. We live in that promise. And I want to show this to you if I can, can, if I can kind of take you to the book of Acts and show you a little bit of this in Acts chapter 3. So if you got a Bible, grab it, open it up. I think we need a, I think we need page turning apps. There used to be a day when we preach and say, turn in your Bibles and you hear, now everything's a click of a button, right? Everybody's got their phone. It's a digital phone. It's a digital Bible. You got your iPad. You got your tablet, you know? Or you just don't look at it at all. <laughs> okay, I'll be good. Let me say this to you. Let me say this to you. Nate texted me a text. He said, I heard the message was good this morning. I said, Nate, I'm playing with house money. It's the word of God. I can be bad and it's still good. Come on, how many know that the word of God is medicine to your soul? How many know this morning that you can love the word of God, that the word of God wants to dwell within you? Come on, this morning. Now, I'm going to say to you something, that you need the word of God in your life. Oh, by the way, let me tell you this great thing I saw on Netflix. <laughs> actually, I did. I was actually, you want to see something really cool? Watch the Netflix. Find the thing on there about the exodus out of Egypt. It's a documentary. It is so stinking cold. So I tell you that. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour. That would be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg money of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive money. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on them, and he said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I don't possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg money. Aren't you glad this morning that you're used to? They said they used to be the one who begged at the gate. Aren't you glad you are used to? How many know that in his house this morning are some who used to be addicted to drugs, that used to be addicted to alcohol, that used to be lost, that you used to be? Aren't you glad you are used to be? I'm going to get a shirt made. I'm a used to be. <laughs> I used to be skinny. I used to have hair. I used to. <laughs> While he was clinging to the people, all the people ran together 
and gathered at the portico of Solomon. Let's set this up. Here's Peter and John. They're going to the temple. They're going at 3 o'clock. They've always done this. This is something they always do. These are good Jewish boys. They know that it's time to pray. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's time to go pray. Let's go. But this day, something was different. They come across this beggar. He's sitting there every day. For 38 years, I believe his age was, this man has been lame from the day he was born. He's never had a moment where he walked. He never had a moment that he wasn't crippled. And when, he's all, when he got older, they had to put him at that place so he could eke out a living, begging and hoping to live off of what people would give him. But this day would be different because this day, James or Peter and John would show up, and they were different. You see, Jesus had made a promise. Let me back up for a moment. So if you go to Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, the Bible says that Jesus, after being raised from the dead, appeared to his disciples for a period of 40 days. For 40 days, he taught them about the kingdom of God. How many of you teach on something for 40 days? It's pretty important. For 40 days, he taught them about the kingdom of God. And at the end of that 40 days, they looked at him and they said, Lord, is this the moment we're going to get our, the kingdom back. Is this the moment Israel's going to get its kingdom back? Is this the moment we get our nation back? Is this the moment we kick Rome out? We set a king up on the throne. Jerusalem is our capital. Is this the moment that we get our political and national power back? And Jesus looks at us and says, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs set by my father. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. What did they want? They wanted political power. What did they want? They wanted national power. They wanted their national, the kingdom back. That's what they wanted. Jesus, I'm going to give you power, but it's not the power you want. It's the power that you need. You see, I want to say something to the church in America today. We don't need political power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, what we've done in America now is we think we can legislate the power when God wants to demonstrate the power. What God has always meant for us to demonstrate, we're trying to legislate. Never again do you see the church in the book of Acts seeking political power. Never again from that moment on do you see them looking, we got to get the right man in the White House. We got to get the white man in the throne. We got to get, listen to me. God's people have never had a great man. We got a culture in America, if we're not careful, that we're more worried in the church about the second coming of Trump than we are the second coming of Jesus. I voted for him. I'm just telling you. And then we got people, tell me to be, tell me, tell me to be quiet. And then we, you know, you know what politicians do? Oh boy. They play to their base. They play to their base, don't they? And we got so many people right now, since this election, that are prophesying and playing to their base because it makes them money and they need to knock it off. Okay. Let me get back to the word of God. <laughs> so Jesus says you're going to receive power. Not the power you crave, not the power you want, the power you need. And with this, you're going to be my witness. You're not going to be the witness of a nation. You're not going to be the witness of a political party. You're not going to be the witness of a Republican or Democrat or Independent. You're going to be my witnesses. Where to? Jerusalem. 
where they killed me. Judea, where they rejected me. Samaria, whom you hate. And you've been prejudiced against. And the uttermost ends of the earth. You see, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, here they are. Chapter 2. God's Spirit comes upon them. Chapter 3 follows chapter 2. I'm a rocket science. And now, here they are, two men going where they've always gone. But this day was different because of what just happened to them. How many of you would like it when God interrupts what you've always done the way you've always done it? And now, under the power of the Holy Spirit, they're going to the place of prayer. Here's this guy. He's begging. He wants money. He wants gold. He wants silver. All right? Peter looks at him and says, listen, man, I'm just a poor, unschooled, ordinary man. I got no money. I got no gold. I got no silver. But what I got, I'm going to give you in the name of Jesus. He says, look at me. And the man looked at him expecting to get something. What was he expecting? He was expecting money. What did he get? A healing. So much for that theology. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, listen, I believe we should expect things from God. Amen? But listen to me. God is bigger than your expectations sometimes. We have made it almost a superstition that you got to do this to get this. you got to do this to get this. No, all you need to have is faith in Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me. The faith in this healing wasn't the man begging. It was the man bringing the healing. This, this, we, we hear all this stuff sometimes. Why, well, brother, you got to have this. Brother, you got This dude wanted money and he got a healing. He got what he wasn't expecting. And then when he's healed... Imagine this. He jumps up. He's leaping. He's jumping. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, you've never done this before. Don't you do it. You'll break something. (laughs) That's why you go around, and that's why I come up. Now, here's what I want to get to. It'll only take another three hours. As soon as you see the paradox, they took note that he was the one. They took a crippled, lame guy that can't walk, and they set him at a gate called Beautiful. Anybody see the paradox? And yet, that religious exercise on a daily basis had no power to change this man's life. It had a form of godliness, but no power. It was a place where religious function took place, but no life-changing encounter for this man. And now, imagine this. You're Peter and John, and all of a sudden, you realize something. The promise Jesus made is good, and the miracles are still happening. And then the people gathered, and they all ran, and they all were amazement and wonder. Watch this. But when Peter saw this, He replied to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel? Men of Israel, why do you marvel? You see a miracle. You see this man made well, but why do you marvel? Men of Israel brings an identity, doesn't it? Children of God, sons of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Men of Israel, priests of God. Holy people, there's an identity. Men of Israel, 
But then it brings an indictment. Why do you marvel? Why do you marvel? You see, in here is an indictment because this is a people who have a supernatural DNA. This is a people who have a historical narrative of a supernatural God who does mighty miracles in their midst. Men of Israel, you are the ones who have a supernatural birth. How many of you know they were born from a man that was 100 years old and a woman who was 90? How many want to sign up for that? Gosh, I'm 57 and don't want to start over. I live with my grandchildren. I love it. But let me tell you, I'm not 37 anymore. Good thing for them. They wouldn't be able to keep up. I, I, we're down at the lake yesterday. We're working on the lake house. Right? Let me tell you how this works in my life. I don't know about you guys. Let me tell you how it works, okay? So I've got all this work to do. We were able to, God blessed us to be able to buy this house, but it needs all this work. I do all my own work, so I'm putting 24 windows in. I'm working on windows. Thursday, I get a text from Micah Friday. Friday, Pastor Micah sends me a text. Hey, you working on the lake house today? Yeah, who's helping you? I said, nobody. Oh, man, you better, you better be careful. You ain't no spring chicken. I said, brother, I'm the rooster, Okay. <laughs> And then I, get a, then I get a text from Keith on Friday. And he said, hey, let's go golf tomorrow. I said, I can't. I took a picture from the lift. I was about 30 feet up. I said, I can't. I'm busy. He says, okay, gotcha. <laughs> Neither one of them offered to help. <laughs> oh, no, no. Spiritual father. Oh, yeah, spiritual father. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's my spiritual father. Yeah. He come down and ride the boat when it's ready. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Busted my butt yesterday. We went out to the lake. Let's take a ride in the evening. Oh, a nice, calm ride on the lake. Here we go. Sun was coming down. The kids, the kids brought the fishing rods because Tony wanted to do that. Let him throw the rods in a little bit. Okay. So Carson drops hers into the water. She's freaking out because her rod's gone. But, oh, unfortunately, the lure floats. We can pull it back up. Okay. And then she's out back fishing on the back of the boat. She comes walking through, and her lure is going like this, to which our dog, which is a golden doodle, thought it was a toy. Guess what it did? Guess what it did? It got a hook right in its nose. So now, okay, this is a nice, peaceful boat ride. And now we're wrestling the dog. And trying to get the kids are screaming. The dog is, Yarr! okay, I've got the dog in a chokehold. She's pulling. It's just, just insane. Okay, the, the hook finally comes out, gets me in my sleeve. Okay, and then... In the midst of that, Liam's fishing rod ends up at the bottom of the lake. Had to drag it out. That was a nice, peaceful ride. <laughs> That's my life. <laughs> the historical narrative for Israel was a supernatural birth. You were born of a supernatural seed where I infused a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman that with a seed that would bless the world through you. You have a supernatural lineage. Men of Israel, you are the people I delivered from the power of Pharaoh in Egypt. I broke his back. I broke his power. Men of Israel, you have the Red Sea moment where I parted the Red Sea in front of you. Men of Israel, I took you through the wilderness and your clothes never wore out for 40 years. Men of Israel, you had men 
manna from the sky. You had water from a rock. You had quail I gave you. I turned this bitter water sweet. Men of Israel, you have the Jordan River where I, I parted that. Men of Israel, you have Jericho. Men of Israel, you have King David and Goliath. Men of Israel, you have a supernatural narrative. Why do you marvel? Somewhere in there, they marveled in the present because they forgot their historical narrative. And I want to say to you this morning that our present expectations need to be founded upon our historical narrative of who our God is. Now, that present expectation, some have forgotten what God has done in the past. Some don't have a historical narrative of faith. Some, your present is based upon present, present is based upon past disappointment, past heartache. My present expectation is not based upon, I didn't say this for a service, hmm. it's always different. It's not based upon a deceased son. It's still based upon who my God is. You see, what we do is we allow past hurts, past disappointments to set our present expectation. But the God says, the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, same forever. He doesn't change. So I want to say to you this morning that your present expectation needs to be based upon a historical narrative of who your God is. And, and all of a sudden, so now watch this. Men of Israel, why? Do you marvel as if by my own power or my own godliness, this man was healed? Peter looks at him and says, excuse me, listen, this dude ain't made well because I'm good. This guy isn't good because I'm good. I'm Peter. Remember me? I'm the jacked up dude. Okay, one moment I'm saying, Lord, let me walk out to you. Woohoo! He's walking on water. Next moment he's drowning. Jesus has to rescue him. On one moment, he's saying, you're the son of the living God. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for this was not revealed to you by my, by man, but by my father in heaven. And then the next moment, you see Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan. Kind of like how my wife lives. She's one of those Tyrone girls. They're tough. Y'all tough. I'm just telling you. Peter's like, by my own power, I've done this. My own goodness, I've done this. Peter was a hypocrite. Paul called him on the carpet sometimes for being uh, acting uh, in a sense of hypocrisy whenever he would eat with one group or wouldn't eat with another. Peter was this guy. Man, I got to love the story about Peter chopping a dude's ear off. I mean, like that. Like, I mean, this guy's jacked up. When you're taking a sword, like, whack. Hmm? <laughs> like, imagine that. And Jesus is going, dude. What are you doing? Gosh, I got this. <laughs> okay, it's good now. I got it, Peter. <laughs> I always say this. He's the original Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> you near? I mean, Peter, the guy who denied Jesus, the guy who called down curses. This miracle did not happen because he was good. It did not happen because he was powerful. No, no. I would suggest it happened because he was weak. And I would happen because God said, I want to put my spirit in weak human flesh so that I can do miracles through weak human flesh. 
He said, why do you marvel? Why do you gaze it up as if I did this? I didn't do this. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your God, your God, listen, has glorified his servant, Jesus. The miraculous is to glorify Jesus. The miracles are to glorify Jesus. God said, Jesus said what? You will receive power to be my witness, to be my witness. Bible says that when Paul would preach the gospel of the kingdom, he preached the gospel of Jesus, that God would confirm the preaching of his word with signs and wonders. You see, the miracles, the miraculous, the supernatural is always to point to one place, and it's always to point to Jesus. Some people get up and preach, and they preach in the shadow of Jesus, and some people get up and preach, and Jesus is in their shadow. How many know we need to be in the shadow of Jesus? Brother, that was a good amen, but you were kind of yawning when you said it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, was, I like, I appreciate the amen. <laughs> you don't know what to think. It's good, Lord. I give him a mic. God will not share his glory with Jesus and us. Do you remember a guy named Herod? I think it's Acts, Acts chapter 12 or 13. They said, oh, the people were all amazed. These are the words of a God. And Herod never deflected that praise. And God killed him on the spot. because He's not sharing his glory. The moment we start stealing his glories, I promise you, the miracles stop. He said, God has glorified Jesus. The miracles, the supernatural, is to glorify Jesus. How many of you know this morning that this says house of miracles? And you can call, I would pray that this building would become a house of miracles. But let me say this to you. It's filled with houses of miracles. Every one of you in here is a miracle of God. Every one of you in here have been born of supernatural seed. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. You were born anew from above by the Spirit of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You are a miracle. You are a house of God, a house of the temple of the Holy Spirit. Watch this. In verse 16. He says, and on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health. You see this? Peter says, listen, here's the great thing about Jesus. Jesus is the one who my faith is founded upon, but also is the, is the one whom my faith has increased. He says that on basis of faith in his name, right, and faith which comes through him. How many know Jesus always has a way of increasing your faith? Hmm? He's the author of our faith. He's the finisher of our faith. He's the increaser of our faith. There are some things I cannot do without him giving me some faith. How many know there's even a gift of faith? You, you know, I, I often say this. 
I, I, God has allowed me to be a part of our church for 22 years. I never have not, I can literally say this. I have no regrets ever, and I have no complaints ever about where God had planted me. He put me there. It was his design. It was his calling. And we have done some incredible fun things as a church, and we've done things. And, and, and I've often said this. We've done a lot of projects. that have cost a lot of money and different things. And I have never yet started one project with the money. I would just like to one time, just one time, start a project with all the money. Like all one, just one time. Can we do that? The money's in the bank. Praise the Lord. But here's what I do know. God, every project he's called us to, he has met the need to get it done. Every one, every single one. I can tell you what it is to look at a $1.3 million project and not have a nickel to your name, and the $1.3 million project came to pass. I can tell you what it is. Let me tell you this story real quick. So in 2018, we built that addition onto the building for the children's classrooms, okay? We needed, we sold an old building. We were going to build this building. We needed 60 more thousand, right? And so I set a goal. We set the goal for the church. We're going to receive an offering. They gave $147,000 in that offering, okay? You got to understand, I don't have a wealthy church. Now, let me hear So this is in 2017. I'm thinking, praise the Lord. I now have more than I need to finish the building. The stress is off. Then they came to me. The, the, got delayed. The hurricanes hit. The material went up 20%. Guess what they came and told me? We were 67, 60 or $70,000 short. How can that be? We had Anyhow, doesn't matter. So now I'm meeting with the two guys, and the two guys that I'm meeting with are saying, well, we just have to go back and tell the people what happened, and we'll receive another offering. Yeah, okay. This is a Thursday. So I left there. I go home. I'm praying that weekend. And thinking, you know, I don't know about you, but my prayers aren't always, oh, dear Jesus, I'm so happy to be in need. And No, no. My, my prayers are sometimes like, man, God, I don't understand this, God. What's going on here? This is what I felt the Lord say to me. Don't you take another offering. Don't you take another offering. Don't you steal their victory. You see, when they gave the $147,000, it was joy in the house. It was victory in the house. It was an amazing atmosphere. It was just an amazing time. The Lord says, don't you take another offering. You trust me. Don't you take their victory. So I come back to church. I looked at those two guys. I said, come here, you two. I said, we're not taking an offering. I said, trust me. It'll be all right. And what we did, we did all the work for six months I spent in that building. We did the work. We bought stuff as we went. Got to the end of the project. Got it paid for. Had 10000 left over. That's my God. That's my God. That's my God. We dedicated the building, I said to the people. Now, let me tell you the rest of the story. <laughs> you see, listen to me. From a church perspective, let me say this to the church for a moment. Let me say it to any board members who are here. See, I'm helping you out here. <laughs> the profit and loss does not set the agenda of the church. The profit and loss does not set the agenda of the church. God does. I remember the first time I gave our church our annual business meeting. Here, it's a deficit budget. <laughs> huh? Yeah, it's a deficit budget. What do you mean it's a deficit budget? It's supposed to balance. Not this one. John Ramsey, that's good accounting, right? 
I said, this is what I believe God has called us to do. This is what I can reasonably expect to bring in. This is what it's going to cost. Are we going to allow God to set the agenda, or are we going to do it by what we have? If, if, if we allow what we have to set the agenda, Gideon never attacks. And so I'm just saying to you this morning, in your own life, who's setting the agenda? God or what you have? Okay, i got to hurry up. Hurry is relative. Okay? He says, on faith in the name of Jesus and faith that comes through the name of Jesus. Listen to me. Peter shows up at the house of prayer, the hour of prayer. He wants to go in and pray like always, to do what he's always done, only something's different. Now he is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now he is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now the power of God in the person of the Holy Spirit has taken residence in him, and he can no longer look at that man the same. He can no longer walk past him because this day the Holy Spirit says, do something about this. David shows up to a battlefield. He shows up to a battlefield where Goliath is taunting the armies of Israel. The armies of Israel for 40 days, twice a day. 80 times Goliath would come out. And 80 times the armies of Israel would run. Until some kids showed up who just got anointed with the Spirit of God. And when he showed up on that battlefield, he heard that giant, but he didn't hear them like the rest of the people. He saw that giant, but he didn't see him like the rest of the people. Because how many you know that when you see and hear through the Spirit of God, you see differently than those around you? And he said, who's allowing this to happen? Let me at it, and I'll cut his head off. What was his, what was his present expectation based on? He said, yo, listen, I killed the lion, and I killed the bear, and I'll take this giant out. Men of Israel, why do you marvel? CWC, why do you marvel? I'm not saying we shouldn't be amazed at God, but I don't think we should be surprised. I think we should be amazed, but not surprised. Amazed at what he does, but not surprised at what he does. That's who my God is. You know, there's people that God brought out of Israel or Egypt. They wander for 40 years. They cross the Red Sea. They won't go into the promised land. Now they wander for 40 years. Until God, God said, until that whole generation is dead. From as far as I can tell, only two men of a generation crossed both the Red Sea and the Jordan River. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. And, and, and now, get this, so for four, they're the only two spies that wanted to go and attack. Because they had an expectation that God would give them victory. But here they were for 40 years wandering with this other generation. I don't know about you, but if I have to wander through the desert for 40 years because of your rebellion, I might be ticked off at you some days. And knowing that we can't go into, you're all dead. I'd be like, how many is that, Joshua? How many are left? <laughs> how many is left? How many died today? <laughs> you guys are probably too spiritual for me. I get a little carnal sometimes, you know? We're down to 100? Good. Maybe God will set a plague today. We can go in. <laughs> then a moment finally came where God comes to Joshua. And he says, get ready, because in three days, you're going to cross the Jordan. 
you get ready for what's going to happen. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. The historical narrative of Moses will be with you. Get ready in three days. And they cross that Jordan. They go into that promised land. And then Caleb. Then Caleb comes to him. Joshua, I'm 85 years old, but I'm just as strong as I was 40 years ago. Joshua, I've got a present expectation based upon a historical narrative. I want that city. I want that hill country. I want that one I visited 40 years ago. I want that city of giants. Come on, Brent. See, this is what we got to do. We're, we're, we're now at that point where, you know, we got to get the music just right and get the lights. Isn't that funny how, isn't it funny how, how, how that Peter and John could do this miracle at the gate? I mean, there was no worship leader. There were no dim lights. There was no fog. There was no, I mean, Listen, I have all that stuff, too. I'm not mocking you. Okay. I got all that stuff, too. We, okay? we got all the fog. We got all the lights. We got all the black. We got all the stuff. Imagine Peter. Peter said, I'm going to heal him. John's like, dude, we don't have a worship leader. <laughs> Troy texted me one day, my worship leader at the church who I just adore. Don't tell him I said that. He texted me at the big, at Sunday morning. He said, hey. Brendan has to go to work at noon, so I don't know how you're going to close the services, but he has to go. Just want you to know, because we won't have a drummer, because Brendan's our drummer. Just want you to know that. So I text him back. Okay. I said, that's just what I was thinking about this morning. I was thinking about Paul and Silas in that prison after they cast a demon out of that little slave girl, and they got whipped and beaten and put in stocks and put in that prison. And about midnight, Paul says, hey, Silas, let's sing. Let's give God some praise. And Silas says, Paul, we can't. We don't got a drummer. Like, like, we can, like, three o'clock in the afternoon, how dare Peter do a miracle? Three o'clock in the afternoon, he did a miracle. He can't do that. It has to be somewhere reserved between 8.30 and noon. I'm not, I, I am kind of being sarcastic, but not to be mocking. What I'm saying is church, church, the stuff is all fun. The bells and whistles are all fun. I like all the stuff, but none of it is a foundation of who we are and what we are. And Caleb says, Joshua, I want that city. The same God who took me out of Egypt. The same God that parted the Red Sea. The same God that watched us for 40 years. The same God that defended us. And you know what they did? Every battle in the wilderness, they were on the defensive. You know why? Because it wasn't their land. But when they went into the promised land, they became the offensive. And how many know the church needs to be on the offensive? But they were in it. And he says, give me that city, Joshua. I got a 40-year promise. I got a 40-year destiny to keep. And I'll drive those giants out. You know what happened? He took that city. It was called Hebron. And he took that city, and it became a city of refuge. A city of giants became a city of refuge. But then you know what happened? There came a day where he gave it to the priest. Here, this is for you, Levites. A city of giants became a city of priests because one man said I've got a present expectation based upon a historical narrative and I'm going to drive them out what is your historical narrative what is your present expectation based on why do you marvel may we come to a place in the church 
where we don't marvel at the supernatural of God, but rather it's a norm, although still amazing. There's an expectation. God, I believe, truly in America, wants to do something in his church. There's nothing wrong with the systems, but the God is bigger than the systems. Come on, stand with me. See, you always give them a stand because that gives them hope that you're going to end soon. And everybody, everybody knows any good preacher, that's another 20 minutes. As you all know, we went through a thing called COVID. Now, I'll never forget this. And it hit. It challenges the systems of the church. And I remember saying to our staff, okay, doing nothing is not an option. Doing nothing is not an option. If God is not bigger than our system, then he's not a big enough God. And so remember they come out with the mandates or the recommendations. We want you to gather in groups of less than 250. I said, okay, we got this. We're going to go to two services where our numbers will be below 250. Praise God. We got this. The following week, they came out and said, okay, we changed that to 50. We went to gatherings to be 50 people or less. Okay, you're challenging me. All right, I got it. Came up with a 50-person plan. We're going to make this happen. Same week, same week, they come out with, we're going to make, we, we, we now want it to be 10. Okay, really stretching me now. So I kid you not, I came up with a 10-person plan. How we were going to meet as a church, 10 people at a time. Oh, it's going to be some tiring weekends. And then they came with a shutdown order the same week, that Friday. I'm like, okay, you're killing me here. I said, let's go. We're going to the parking lot. We're going to the parking lot. We will not do nothing. And we will not get stuck by a system that is just getting shook. Because God is bigger than our system. God is bigger than our system. All the stuff is fun. And all the stuff is good. But none of it is a substance of who we are. The substance of who we are is the Spirit of God that dwells within you. It dwells within every believer. The Spirit of God is the substance of the church. The Spirit of God, the living God, dwells in human flesh. You are the temple. You are the house of miracles. Come on, join me up here, please. I'll, I'll be quick. It's code for another 15. Come on, join me. Come on. Come on, I won't bite. I won't spit on you, I promise. Just come on up. Come on, come on. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I'll stand back so I don't spit on you. Come on. Paul said, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You got a nice young boy. Anybody that can golf with Keith has got to be a good guy. <laughs> I just found out today he's your son. Nice kid. Good job. You are the temple of God. The Bible says he leads you, guides you. The Bible says this, that you, it's in you and through you, the gifts of the Spirit of God flow. He gives them as he will to willing vessels and they flow through you to demonstrate the power of God. Here's the great thing about it. Also, he's within you to create the 
character of God, which is the fruit of the Spirit. He does a supernatural work inside of you to make you what you are so that you can be a used to be. Do me a favor. Put your hands out like this, like Pastor Keith asks you to do sometimes. Father, this morning, all across this room, all across this room, I just pray, God, that we would say, Lord, give me more of your spirit. Not more of your spirit. Sometimes I even don't even like that phrase. But, Lord, let me be more aware of your spirit. You're not withholding any of your spirit. You're not withholding your spirit. You're not withholding your spirit. It's us and our inability sometimes to host your spirit, to hear the spirit of God. And so, Father, today I would say, in this room, I would pray with these folks, Father, make me a better host. Make me a better host of your spirit. That God, through my body, through my hands, Father, that I could lay hands on the sick, that, Father, and it be well. That Father, I could prophesy a word of hope to people. I could give a word of exhortation, Father. That the gifts of the Spirit are relevant for today. To offset the work of the enemy. To bring glory to your son, Jesus. How many want to bring glory to Jesus? So, Father, I pray right now. That we would understand something. The anointing is the Spirit of God. The anointing is the Spirit of God. It's not an impersonal thing. It is the person of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit. Whom we host. Here we talk to. Who talks to us. Who speaks to us. And Father, this day, we would say we are the host of the person of the Holy Spirit. Father, even now as I speak, healing in this room. Healing, God. Healing in this room. Healing, Father, of bodies. And some would say, well, Pastor, if God heals, why aren't everybody healed? Don't know. Don't know. Not even going to try to explain it. All I know is God heals. All I know is, I don't know. All I know is when I pray for some people, they get well and some people don't. I don't know. I can't figure it out. But it does not mean we don't pray. I can tell you about a woman who was in a wheelchair for 26 years, and she went to the Bay of Holy Spirit Revival. God touched her, and she sings in stilettos today. So, Father, healing in this room, healing of bodies, healing of hearts, God. You bind up the brokenhearted. God, I give joy, God. Give joy, God. Give joy, God. Right now, joy. Father, I bless these people. I speak blessing over them. And this I would pray over you. I pray acts over you. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That you will be his witnesses to Tyrone, your Jerusalem. That you would be his witnesses to the surrounding counties, your Judea. That you would be a witness to even those you've been taught to dislike. 
to your enemy, maybe. So, Father, this day, in this house, stand houses of miracles, temples of the living God. And I bless them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Pastor Keith.